good morning. Thank you again for being with us today as we begin to wind down our series, When the Spirit Moves. I've really enjoyed being with you and, and, and working through uh, these passages and acts over the past couple of weeks. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, Pentecost is originally a Jewish holiday celebrating the gift of the law. Uh, but to Christians, it is also a holiday where we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, the birthday of the church, if you will. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at instances in the uh, book of Acts about how the Holy Spirit has been moving. Uh, you'll remember we began with uh, on the day of Pentecost with uh, Peter's sermon and the response that he had when people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Next, we, we dealt some with Stephen's sermon, one of the first deacons of the church. His sermon wasn't as well received. And then, of course, Paul's sermon last week at the Areopagus in the city of Athens. Uh, this has uh, uh, been an exciting time for our congregation as well. Over the past eight weeks, being with you online, last week alone we had 27 people uh, notify us to let us know that they had made a decision, a first-time decision for Jesus Christ, or they had rededicated uh, their lives to Jesus Christ. The week before that, I think there was seven, uh, seven more folks who had done that. And we're just grateful uh, for what the Holy Spirit is doing in this season. The Spirit is at work in the world. The Spirit is at work at this very moment. And I am thankful for how God has taken this season of inconceivability in this time of pandemic and is helping His church reprioritize His mission for the world. God is reminding us what it means to be an Acts chapter 2 church, attending to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, calling us together in His temple, and gathering in our homes to break bread uh, with glad and generous heart. And then a, the best part, again, and the Lord added daily, day by day, those who were being saved. Today, as we begin to bring this series to a conclusion, not a close, a conclusion, if anything, the Holy Spirit uh, is, ha, created this series, I believe, uh, to get us ready for what lies ahead. Uh, so we're going to go back today to the uh, first chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 14. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. Uh, open it up and keep your Bible open after we have read it because we have a couple of things that uh, I want to refer back to you, some words and some verses as we uh, try to discern what the Spirit's going to teach us today. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. So if you have your Bibles open, let's read together. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times uh, or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know what's really interesting about this text as we just began reading it is how the disciples had experienced all that they had experienced not only in Jesus' ministry, but with His arrest, His crucifixion, and His resurrection, and they still don't get it. Uh, look with me again in, in, in uh, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> Jesus, even in His resurrected, glorified state, has to chide his disciples yet again and he says to them you know look the father decides these things and in the words that follow this statement of clarity jesus gives to his disciples the objective the means and the source of that which they are waiting for Look with me again uh, at these points as we go through this text. Just the first part, uh, in verses 7 and 8, the disciples tell them, uh, the, Jesus tells the disciples, uh, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. The Father has fixed them by His own authority. You see that there? And then in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Those three words, I want to just uh, uh, spend a few moments with you this morning. That we are called to be witnesses. That's the objective. That we will do it with power, and that that power is rooted in the authority of God. The first point that, that, that I want you to, to, to commit to memory in your heart is that the objective that Jesus is calling His disciples to, and therefore calling us to do as the church, the objective is that we might be witnesses. The objective is to be a witness. At the end of verse 8, Jesus says that the, that the disciples will be My witnesses. Now, the word that Jesus used there is a Greek word that we get another English word from, and that word is martyr, or martyrdom. Now, now the truth is, is, is that that word in the original language, uh, the original meaning of that word really just simply meant witnesses, or one who tells the story. That's what the word originally meant. It, it predates the understanding that we now have of that word martyr, or martyrdom, uh, that is, is that those who lose their life for an idea or a higher cause or for us in the Christian faith for the truth. 
It's interesting how our understanding of that word has been changed because of what happened to Christians for the first several centuries of the life of the church and even up until today. That what it means to be a witness because of what happened to those first Christians has impacted the English language all over the world. That it means more now than just witnessing or telling uh, the, the story of what you've seen, but that it carries a cost as well. You know, uh, in a few weeks we're going to be starting a new series on uh, talking about the stories of Jesus. You know, as I think about these apostles, um, we saw this a few weeks ago when we were looking at Acts chapter 2.42, how the church was uh, being attentive to the apostles' teachings. And Pastor Joe and I shared with you how it wouldn't have been a difficult thing for the disciples to share the stories of Jesus. They were pretty well committed to memory for them. Telling others about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done wasn't something that was difficult. Telling stories on your behalf isn't difficult for something that has changed your life or is important to your life. For those of you who have grandchildren, the easiest way to get you talking about your grandchildren is just for somebody to say, how's your grandchildren? When something's important to us, we don't have a problem. We don't, we don't have an issue talking about what is important to us. But look again at verse 8. Jesus calls His disciples to be witnesses, but what's really powerful isn't what He's called them to do, but where He's called them to do it. First of all, they're to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea. Well, that isn't all that strange. It is, after all, their backyard. The residents of Jerusalem and Judea are their own people, their own brothers and sisters. Uh, they're Jews, Hebrews, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those who honor the law of Moses, those who have a shared history of bondage in Egypt, liberation, wandering in the desert, and coming into the promised land. They all agree on their shared story. They may not agree what it means for them today. They may, not, uh, they may have different opinions about, about how one lives in, in the aftermath of that sort of thing, but they know who they are by their own story. We, we see that they didn't always agree. I mean, we see the folks who listened to Peter, and some rejected it, some came to believe. We see the folks who heard Stephen's sermon. Not, not, none of them believed. They stoned him to death one of the first martyrs of the church. You know, it's um, a difficult task, I think, when Jesus adds something to our life that we're not ready to receive, a, a call to our life that we're not sure we want to accept. For those of us who've been called into ministry, some fought against it for, for years, or, or called to serve in the life of your church as a, as a spiritual leader of your church, or a teacher, or some mission or, or service opportunity. But when Jesus says to these disciples, not only do I want you to proclaim the gospel to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, but also to Samaria, well now that changes things a little. That, that, that's sort of like a... That, that's, for those of you who are Denver Bronco fans, that's sort of like saying to you guys that you have to go and, and be friends with and do nice things for people who are Raiders fans or Chief fans. I mean, I mean Broncos fans and Raiders fans, they, they both like football, 
but neither would say that the other is truly a fan of a real football team. The same was true with the residents of Samaria. These are the people that were called Samaritans. And if you can remember any of those stories about Samaritans in the New Testament, you'll know that Samaritans, even though they had a shared history with the Jews of Judea and Jerusalem, they were viewed with suspicion, and in some cases, even hatred. Now, there's a long story about how all that came to be, and we can talk about that some other day, or even better, in a Bible study or a small group. But essentially, Jesus is calling His disciples to go to those folks who the disciples do not like. They do not respect them, and they could care less about them. Now, as we try to find how the story fits into our life and the witness of our own church, I think a good question for us to think about is this. With whom are we most uncomfortable with sharing the gospel? With whom are you most uncomfortable with in sharing the gospel? This is who Jesus is calling you to share the gospel with. Now, unfortunately, in Christianity, we have become all too willing to relegate the work of witnessing to missionaries or evangelists. We, we, we justify our refusal to engage ourselves with those folks by financially supporting those folks who will go, or maybe even supporting them in prayer. And all those things are worthy. Those are good things. But they miss the point of what Jesus is calling you and me to do and to be i mean after all who among us wants to move to a developing nation how many of us want to move into an urban neighborhood struggling with crime and drug abuse or to a rural town struggling with poverty substandard health care and education systems i don't know I recently read an article that said because of this pandemic and and folks working from home that a lot of people may be moving to more rural towns and areas because of the price of housing. And maybe this is an opportunity that the Spirit is pushing us into places that we wouldn't have normally gone in order to be witnesses. And then Jesus ends His list with, to the end of the earth. I'm not even sure the, 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 the disciples understood what Jesus was saying when He said that. I mean, they, they, they had heard stories about the Persian Empire, and they may have remembered stories of the empire to the east of Persia, the, the, the Mongols. But to know how to speak the gospel to them? I mean, they had received uh, silk and spices but that was from a certain group of people who who would go and and get the stuff and bring it back would jesus expect me to move the disciples might have been asking well could we have even conceived of another nation far to the northwest in scandinavia who would eventually become a military might that would be unable Uh, to be controlled by Europe and would overwhelm Europe. And the Vikings and the Scandinavian people would deeply influence not only Europe, but the language, customs, and even warfare for years to come. The disciples, of course, had heard of the Egyptians. They probably had even heard of the Nubian Empire, which was to the south of Egypt. But did they know of the lands across the desert? 
Did they have any conception? They thought the Mediterranean Sea was the Great Sea. Had they any conception of the Atlantic Ocean and the lands to the west of that, which we call now the Americas? This objective to take the Gospel not just to their backyard in Jerusalem and Judea, but to Samaria and to the ends of the earth had to be daunting. How would they do this? What would be the means that this objective would be realized? Jesus gives them the means for this objective. The power of the Holy Spirit. The first part of verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. As we begin to conclude this series on the Holy Spirit, you're probably not a bit surprised that the means by which the disciples, you and I, would do these great things is because we have received the power of the Holy Spirit when the Spirit moves. As a matter of fact, if you look closely at the text the power of the Holy Spirit and the call to be witnesses is so closely connected that you can't have one without the other. Once the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will have power. And that power drives us, compels us, as we read when Paul was in Athens, to be witnesses throughout the entire world. Now, I don't want to go so far as to say that if you don't have one, then you don't have the other. <laughs> but I wouldn't be upset if you did draw a close comparison that if you do have one, it's because you do have the other. Now, I don't want to draw lines in the sand, and I, I don't know if I want to cause any of you out there to be unsettled, but we could all ask ourselves this question. If I am not moved or desirous to witness to God's glory through Christ to the world, am I truly allowing the Holy Spirit to have authority in my life? Or maybe we could look at it from the inverse. If our congregation is being moved to witness to our community and to the world about Jesus Christ, it is because of the power of the Holy Spirit within this community and within each of the believers gathered here. This lockdown that we've endured has prompted this congregation to do more outreach activities, build more relationships with other Christians in our community, and stand in the face of fear than ever before. For me, the power of the Holy Spirit is not displayed by seeking to ignore the recommendations of medical professionals and gather together as a church and some sort of expression of civil disobedience. The role of the church is not to, 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 to spit in the face of governing authorities. The role of the church is to witness to the power and the might of Jesus Christ. That is, we have fed the hungry through our food drives, gathering tons and tons of food since this pandemic started. We've supported families and mothers with babies gathering tens of thousands of diapers. We have built relationships with churches that are bigger than we are and smaller than we are so that the community can see that Jesus Christ is alive. 
We have had the opportunity to witness to people about Christ, to share God's love in the midst of fear and uncertainty. And we have seen throughout the weeks that we have been live streaming, over 30 people have come to Christ just in the past few weeks because of this live feed. That's more people who have come to Christ in the past few weeks than came to Christ an entire year before this pandemic. If the goal of the church is to make disciples, we have proven that we have been more faithful and more successful in that work since we have not worshipped in this building than when we did. If this is the kind of success we'll have for the sake of the kingdom, not gathering for worship, my vote is we never come back. For the Scriptures are being fulfilled, brothers and sisters. For God is adding day by day those who are being saved. Now listen, we will come back to worship here again. We will be back together as a church someday, soon hopefully. But I hope that we will not lose the fervency that has been birthed in us during these eight weeks. I pray that we will not lose our desire to step into the mud and muck of our communities to be a witness of Jesus Christ. I pray that we will continue to work with churches like Mission Hills and Mount Air Christian Church and other congregations so that the world will know God through Jesus Christ. If, as some have said, that the goal of the government in closing churches is to destroy them, then their plan is failing miserably. For I see a church more on fire for the sake of the gospel because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is the source of this power? The source of this power, in verse 7, is because of God's authority. When Jesus scolded His disciples, when He told them that it wasn't for them to know the times and the seasons, He said that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Now, if you're reading the King James Version, or perhaps another version, another translation, that verse may say, but the Father has fixed by His own power. Now, even though the original language, the word, the word for authority and the word for power are two different words, the English translators translated both of those words power to show the connection, which is appropriate. There is a connection here that Luke is trying to draw. That is, the power we receive through the Holy Spirit is deliberately connected to the authority of God the Father. Another way to say this is that the reason the Holy Spirit's power is so effective is because of God's authority or God's sovereignty. None of this is a surprise for God. This is a part of God's plan. Years ago, a very dear friend of mine and a pastor colleague lost their daughter only a few hours after she was born. When they were laid into the pregnancy, the physicians told them that the child had a condition that it would survive the pregnancy and be born alive, but probably wouldn't live more than a day or two. He and his wife decided to continue on with the pregnancy and when their little daughter was born, they took turns holding her. 
until she finally fell asleep just a few hours later. I was privileged and cursed to officiate that funeral. He and I have spoken less and less about that situation as the years have gone by, but I remember one particular conversation when he shared with me that some folks asked him, if you had known that this is what would happen to your daughter, would you have chosen to have children to begin with? Without missing a beat, he said, yes, he would have. Without a moment's hesitancy, he said that even though her life was short, it was meaningful, powerful, necessary for God's will. It changed him and his wife. It changed their future children, and it changed me. That little girl and the hours that she was born, God used to change people's lives. Some have asked why in the world would a sovereign God who can see all things choose to create a humanity that would ultimately rebel? Well, it's because He has fixed all of these things by His authority. And that authority elevates who He is. And the Bible says who God is. In 1 John 4, 8 we read, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Do you know that God loves you today? Not just some fickle emotion like I love hot dogs or I love ice cream, but I mean real love. The kind of love that you and I only get to glimpse occasionally. The kind of love that a husband has for his wife diagnosed with Alzheimer's who no longer remembers who he is, but, she, but he visits her every day. The kind of love that a parent has who abandons their own dreams of a great career to invest their lives into their children, ensuring that they have the best education possible. A person who donates an organ to a stranger that they've never met. A son or a daughter who leaves their family to put on the uniform of this nation. The uniform of a soldier, a sailor, an airman, a marine to defend this nation that too often does not care about the sacrifices endured. By those who serve. These are glimpses of love. But we see true love when we see Jesus Christ stretching out His arms upon the cross. We see true love when God extends His might and His power to those of us who are powerless. Now look, as I close here, I remember the day that I realized I was an enemy of God. When I didn't care what God was doing. When all I heard from the church is a list of do's and don'ts. You see, I wanted to win at life. At my dreams. At having everything in th that, that the world told me I needed to have in order to be successful. And I'll never forget the day it dawned on me that to be truly victorious... I would need to surrender. Now, for some of you, the embrace of a loving God who pulls you close to Himself is something that, that was able to bring you to faith. But for me, and perhaps for some of you, the image that came to my mind is that I needed to present myself before the throne of a sovereign God to bend the knee and to bow the head and to surrender.
And in surrendering, He bid me to stand again. And He gave me the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit. And He sent me forth on a mission to be a witness to the world. If you're that person out there, will you surrender today? Will you give your allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Will you say yes to this question? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept Him as Lord and Savior. If you've made that decision today, would you click on the button that can help us know that you're starting your life in Christ? If you're on Facebook or YouTube, would you send us an email and let us know that you've made that decision so that we can walk with you? Maybe you're rededicating your life today. Would you let us know that? Would you let us know that the Spirit has spoke to you and through His might and His power, He's called you too to renew your witness for the sake of the Gospel. That is what gives life meaning. Not only here, but into eternity. Will you pray with me? Merciful God, thank You that by Your authority You have fixed all things and called us and poured out Your power upon us through the indwelling of Your Holy Spirit and called us to be witnesses to the whole world. Thank You, Lord, that in the midst of this pandemic, You have caused the Spirit to roll and the Gospel to be proclaimed. And day by day, You're adding to the numbers of those who are coming to believe. We trust in You. We give You honor, glory, and praise. And we pray that every congregation, every church, every Christian, is strengthened in the might of where they are and who they are to be the light, to show the light of Jesus Christ. For it is in His name that we pray. Amen.